Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So Dominique, we've just finished up a series of podcasts with Sarah Owings on cues. It's a great primer for the webinar that we have coming up on June 2nd with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. That's going to be really interesting after all of this discussion about cues. And I know as further priming for that webinar um, that you had a whole lot of questions that were emerging out of the conversation that we had with Sarah. And often when you're first listening to things that you're some of those questions as we're having the conversation there, they haven't quite gelled yet or they don't seem to quite fit into the, the flow of the conversation. And then afterwards, when you listen to it again, there are things that will really jump out at you. And I gather there were some things that jumped out at you as you were listening to the podcast. That's exactly what happened. Because there's something you talked about at the end of the podcast, the last podcast, uh, which was the third part with uh, Sarah, or the final part with, with Sarah. And I, there, it, you were talking about stabilizing cues. So just to kind of put people in the context, because your, your mindset is that cues evolve out of the shaping process, cues are constantly evolving and so there's a point where you decide to stabilize them is the word you used um and and you're very deliberate about where you decide that the go signal is going to be but when you said that during the podcast i it didn't hit me that much But in the days following, I watched the presentation that you did at Clicker Expo. And when I, you talked again about this at the end of the presentation, you had a participant come on stage and you explained this process. And I thought, oh, this is so fascinating. And then when I, when I listened to the podcast, when it was actually published, I, I, I forgot, I had forgotten that you mentioned this during the podcast. And so when I listened to the podcast the second time, I thought, how could I have missed this? This is so great, you know, I, because I thought it was one of the greatest thing in your Clicker Expo presentation. I thought it was such a deep, and I want to talk more about it. But yeah, sometimes it's like you're not, I don't know why, is it because you're not ready? Is it because you need to hear it more than once before it starts to, um, I don't know, to, 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 to ring a bell. Not sure what the process, and maybe it's different things at different time. Was, it, was I more tired at the end of the conversation? I don't know. I think, I think it's a lot of different reasons. It may be that something that you were doing with the horses suddenly brought be. that piece, uh, uh, highlighted that piece, so that, or that because... The podcast is one way of absorbing information and the watching the video playbacks from the Clicker Expo is another way. 
Yeah, the rope handling example for me was really, really, you know, it was very explanatory. I, it helped me really understand what you meant by that, that get set, get ready, go, but also how flexible that is and how deliberate you are about yes. anchoring yes. the cue. Yes. Because, I mean, you can go into a train you know you can you can go in with an ultimate cue as you know if let's say you were doing some performance and there's something that is what's the word in english uh, obligatoire um, obligatory right you know mandatory in in the ring uh, yeah so but you It's okay. It, 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 this is not contradictory with your way of teaching cues because in the end, you can decide to transfer to whatever cue uh, you have to use. But the whole process uh, of what you explained of cues evolving out of the shaping process, that's very flexible and that is all about a conversation that you are having with the horse. And I'll have some other questions about that. But first... This idea that, you know, you were explaining that if you're training for somebody else, you might not stabilize the cue at the same place that you would stabilize it if the horse is for you. And you also explained, and, and I'd like for you to go a little bit more into it maybe and give some examples how you use, because horses will anticipate. Absolutely. Animals will anticipate. You know, you were saying what comes before, what comes before, you know, the, doing the behavior. But you use that. You use that, especially in that process of get set, get ready, go. You use this anticipation up to a point where you decide, okay, this is it. I'm putting the anchor here. Can you explain it more? As you're saying that, I'm thinking of, you know, instead of fighting against things, that get it that seem to be in our way what we're really learning to do is to flow with them and make use of them so you can either say that this particular aspect of the training is a nuisance so for example we 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 work with horses horses are grazing animals i'm looking out now on the spring grass it's finally green and it's growing and it, it just looks so beautiful And of course, when my horses look out on the green grass, they see, oh, yum, fresh spring grass. We want to be out there eating. And I can either fight that and say, oh, what a nuisance. And my horse is constantly diving down for grass. And what a struggle. And I can't train on grass because my horse is, is always wanting to go down to the grass. Or I can learn how to use the grass as a as a reinforcer i'm jumping in during the editing to give you a reference for learning how to use grass as a reinforcer in podcast number eight train where you can we talked about how you can transform grass from a distraction into a reinforcer that took us to the general training principle of train where you can not where you can't we defined loopy training And we looked at how that teaching strategy can help create clean training. Clearly, it's an episode that's packed full of good things. As Dominique said at the start of this week's episode, often when you listen to something again, you get new things from it. 
So if it's been a while since you've listened to this episode, it might be worth checking it out in the archives. I know for many of us living here in the Northern Hemisphere, it is that time of the year when the horses are eager for grass. So when you're working over what is essentially a carpet of reinforcement, or if you haven't done some training around it, it's a carpet of huge distraction, then it might be well worth listening to that podcast again. To accompany the podcast, we put a bonus article up in the library section of the website. The title is Deer Fencing, Everything is Connected to Everything Else. Here's the brief description that accompanies the article. Find out how to transform grass from a distraction to a reinforcer. It's the fifth item we put up in the library. We posted both the text and then we created an audio file so you can listen to it just as you would a podcast. To use the library, go to our website, equosity.com. We've posted a number of bonus articles in the library, so it's worth subscribing to the website so you've access to them. If you're already a member of the website, you can just use your password and go straight to the library. And if you haven't yet subscribed, it's it's very easy. You just fill out uh, the subscribe form on the website. All we need is your email address, and then we'll send you back the password, and you can access the library anytime you want to. So now let's get back to this week's podcast, where we're talking about we can either fight against some of these things that are so very normal, or we can learn to use them. We tend to fall into patterns. So I can either fight that and change the way I teach cues so I'm using more of an extinction process because I don't want to fall into a recognizable pattern. And and it's really easy for me to fall into patterns because humans fall into patterns very easily. So I can either fight that or I can use it. Horses anticipate. Well, I can either fight that and say, oh, what a bad thing that my horse is, is wanting to offer the canter before I'm quite ready for it. I, I need him to wait, or I can make use of that. And, and I think that's, you know, on more of a sort of global conceptual basis, it's a real shift in our thinking when we look at the things that are tripping us up and say, how can I use it? instead of how can I push against it? So... Well, it's certainly a more joyful process, too. Yeah, yeah. But it's very powerful. It's very powerful because it it opens up many, many things, you know, uh, in, in every aspect of our training. Right, and it, it means that we recognize that our horse isn't wrong. Our horse is doing what we've been teaching him. And... And we need to really look at how a behavior would be viewed from the horse's point of view. So, for example, one of the things that I teach in my training are lateral flexions. So I like I teach the horse to soften and bend to the side. And so if I have a horse who's starting out at 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock, he's straight, so his nose is lined up with his tail, and then I ask him, to soften 
and bend to the inside. So let's say I'm on the left side. So now he's, he's learning that if he moves his nose from 12 o'clock in my direction towards 11 o'clock, I'm going to click and give him a treat. And if I keep doing this, he's going to get softer. It's a bit like bending a coat hanger. It's going to get easier and easier for him to bend. And pretty soon, he's not just going to be bending towards 11 o'clock. He'll be bending towards 10 o'clock. And, and I'll be happy because he's getting really nice and soft. And, and all kinds of good things are, are going along with that bending that, that I like in terms of performance. And what my horse is learning, or maybe learning, because who knows what another individual is learning. But suppose from his point of view, he's thinking, oh, if I move my nose to the side, I can get my person to click and hand me a treat. But my horse doesn't have a sense of there's this perfect position for me to be in. And when I find it, I need to stop there. He just knows that when he bends his nose to the side, he gets clicked and reinforced. So pretty soon, he's not just bending to 10 o'clock, he's bending to 9 o'clock. And, and I'm still happy because with his nose coming around that far, he's lifting up from the base of his neck and all kinds of things, good things are happening. But then because my horse doesn't realize that there's some perfect, oh, this is the, the, if there is, as if there, as if there could be such a thing. This is the perfect balance and I should stop here. My horse is going to keep saying, well, if I take my nose to the side, I get clicked and reinforced. So if a, if a little is good, a lot must be better. And now he's not just going to nine o'clock, he's going past nine o'clock. And as he goes past nine o'clock, he's going to start to twist. So his nose, the, the expression is his nose is going to come out from under his eyes instead of his his face being lined up um, perpendicular to the ground his nose is is coming out a little further so there's a twist and there's a twist in his neck and now he's he's coming around twisting and leaning and pulling down onto his inside shoulder and now I'm not happy anymore because my horse has gone too far so I need to swing the pendulum back and and how do you do that? You click earlier, what do you do? You could work on reinforcing the horse for bending in the other direction. You could ask the horse to go through a reset. So you teach the, the choreography of resets so that you can ask the horse to straighten out his head and begin again so that you can uh, begin to stabilize the horse more in a balance that suits you. But the point is here, that from the horse's point of view, there's no, there is this perfect place and I should stop there. So the lead rope <clears throat> demo that you were watching is the perfect, it's the perfect place for really understanding that. So in the rope handling, you want to slide down the rope towards the snap. And in the clinics, it's interesting that even people Who've, who've been around horses for decades, this particular style of rope handling is more often than not unfamiliar to them. And it's a process that we have to teach this particular style of using a rope. So as people listen to this podcast, if they're not familiar 
with my rope handling if they haven't seen it, the picture that they're forming in their mind may not, will be based on what they know, not necessarily on what I'm doing or describing, which makes it a little difficult when you don't have the visuals. But we're going to... But can you, can you, I'm sure there's something on the internet that keep people work... There, yes. It's in my website. It's on the online course. It's in all the DVDs. So there's, it's very easy to access the rope handling. Sorry for all the interruptions. I know I lose track of what we've talked about on the podcast. So I'm guessing other people do as well. In April of 2018, Dominique and I had a long conversation about rope handling. We divided it into two podcasts. Here's the description for part one. Clicker training lets us work so effectively at liberty. Should we even put leads on our horses? If we do, how do we use them? How do we turn rope handling into a clicker compatible tool? These are some of the many questions we explore in part one of a two-part series on rope handling. In this podcast, we talk about the dance that evolves out of good rope handling. Used well, the lead becomes an incredibly light and tactful communication tool. The dance of good rope handling is both beautiful to watch and a delight to use. It's one thing to listen to someone describing this work and something else again to see it in use. For that, I will refer you to my website, theclickercenter.com. That's going to take you to the books and DVDs and to a number of, of really good articles on the rope handling and clicker training in general. And it will also take you to my online course. The course is packed full of videos. It's a great resource that takes you from the very beginning steps of introducing your horse to clicker training through a sequence of lessons that lets you work magnificently at liberty and that also helps you to transform a lead into a wonderfully clicker-compatible communication tool. I know many people have seen leads and reins used to punish horses, so it's hard to imagine how inviting a lead can be. Think of it this way. We're a verbal species. We can use our words to scold and to bully, but we can also use our words to love and appreciate. Hopefully, we're not trying to use them to do both. We use tools in different ways, and we get to choose. I want my lead to be an invitation to good things, I want it to be something that my horses trust and are really comfortable with. And I hope that's how they view it. Certainly through their behavior, that would seem to be the case. The two podcasts on rope handling will give you a good introduction to what I mean by this. So go to equosity.com and you'll find them in the podcast archives. So that's enough interruptions. Let's get back to this week's podcast. So I would start with the lead rope held in the hand that's closest to my horse's shoulder, and I'm going to be sliding. So, so if I'm on the left side, uh, my hands are together. My left hand is over my right hand. I slide my left hand 
down the rope. And if I follow that rope all the way up to the snap, I will find that I've gone through a bone rotation. So my left hand will have started with my thumb pointing up. And by the time I get to the snap, my thumb is pointing down. So I've, I can observe the bone rotation. And as I get to that snap, I'm not going to go there and push on the horse. I'm not going to escalate the pressure. It's not intended to intimidate, scare, force the horse to do anything. You're going to a point of contact. You can have a slight shift within your own balance that creates an intent, but it's not coming from muscle force in your arm. And if it is, then your horse will tell you that you're shouting at him and that you need to go practice with a human or practice by hanging a, a lead rope on a fence post until you, you can slide down with softness. And often when we're doing the rope handling, the reports that people will give back what we'll say is it feels, it feels very soft, it feels very inviting. And the one that I really love is when people say it feels really safe. And I love that because often yeah. we're working with horses mm-hmm. when you're first starting out with them where they do not feel safe around humans because of past history. Well, I mean, it's, it's also a very quiet rope. There's right. no wiggling right. going on. Right. So it, it, there's no, the, 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 the purpose is not coming or the communication is not coming from the movement of the lead. It's the hand coming down softly, quietly down the lead. Right. You could almost think of the rope as just a a guideline. A guide right. to know where your hand yeah, is supposed to be. Right. To, to two organizing mm-hmm. points. There's a bit more to it than that. But it's it's really what is happening in your body. It, it, the, the rope is not there to create, to cr- well, it's not there to, to frighten. Yeah, to intimidate. Or, yeah. right, right. So It's not pulling, it's not wiggling, it's right. very quiet. You can have a lot of pressure on a lead rope without intending to or without even knowing about it. If you're very, very tight in your shoulders and you slide down a lead rope, and you, you go, because you're, you're stiff, you may be going a little bit past the points of contact. And in that case, what the horse experiences will not be as pleasant as it will be in the future when you have done some body awareness work and have found a way to let go of all of that make it happen tension that life has put and life with a capital L that life has put into your into your shoulders into your body into your reaction patterns but anyway that's another yeah. whole subject so we, we we slide down the lead rope slowly and you get to the snap and the horse can feel you coming and that's another interesting demo that I like to do at clinics. I'm, I'm just back from a just a fabulous clinic. It was so much fun. We did a, a clinic in North Carolina and um, I mean the, the, the spring clinics have they have just been phenomenal, phenomenal groups. They began with actually I, I've lost track of which one I did when but but I just did let's see I did the Arkansas clinic with Cindy Martin, mm-hmm. who we've done podcasts with, yeah. um, I guess two weekends ago. And one of the regular participants at Cindy's clinic 
is Anita Schnee, who's a Feldenkrais practitioner. She's been coming for for a couple of years now, and she's so generous. She shares a Feldenkrais session with us on each day of, of the clinic, and she tailors them specifically for what we're doing with the horses. And I so appreciate it because this form of, you know, the, the work is so built around awareness of balance and and our own awareness is part of that because you really build your observational skills by learning how to explore balance through you know what we know best which is ourselves and the Feldenkrais sessions I just so value them and then in this past clinic oh what fun we had not one but two Feldenkrais practitioners and the Pilates instructor. So the course was organized by Rebecca Schultz, who's a Pilates practitioner, just a superb, superb teacher. And she was she was sharing with me some of the history of the Pilates. And just like the dressage is sort of split off into competition dressage and classical dressage and so on, the Pilates has had splits as well. And so what she was teaching is the classical Pilates just so interesting and and it was really fun and then uh, Mary Bono who's a Feldenkrais practitioner was there and on Saturday she led us through a Feldenkrais session and on Sunday Rebecca led us through a Pilates session and it was oh it was just phenomenal it just makes the rope handling so much more significant and alive with energy when you can pair it with these sessions where you really learn about what is free and easy and doable in your body and where are you holding resistance. Because where you are blocked and holding resistance will absolutely be felt by your partner, whether that's a human on holding the snap or a horse who's got a a halter and lead rope attached. And it very much affects the quality of the work and the whole level of communication that you can have. So just phenomenal clinics and I've got, I'm home for a little bit and then I've got clinics coming up in June and again they're just, the focus is going to be on so much on balance and body awareness. I'm going to interrupt one more time. I don't mean for this to feel like a series of commercial breaks. These interruptions are really just to point you in the direction of some useful resources. We're talking here in this podcast about rope handling. And I know from the feedback that I get at clinics that this is one part of the work that really benefits from direct hands-on instruction. You can absolutely learn the rope handling from the books and DVDs, but holding the horse's end of a lead and feeling for yourself what we're talking about when someone who's familiar with the work slides down the lead and asks for movement, that really enriches and expands the learning experience. And that's what you can get in the clinics. Often in the clinics, what I focus on are those aspects of the work that are the hardest to get from reading a book or watching a DVD lesson. They're the things that really where you benefit from that direct hands-on feel of how something works. So I really recommend the clinics. You can go to my website, 
theclickercenter.com to learn more. Go to the menu at the top of the page. The clinics and conferences are all listed under the events tab. I have three clinics coming up in June. The first one is a unique offering that I'm really excited about. I'm pairing up with Amanda Scott to teach a workshop that we're calling Innovations in Horse Training, Merging Ancient Art with Modern Science. So here's what that means. Amanda began her professional life as an equine veterinarian. And I say began because she left veterinary practice to write historical fiction. And I met Manda about 20 years ago when the first book in her Boudicca series had just been published. Shamanic dreaming inspired and was a large part of the Boudicca books and it's been part of all the rest of the books that Manda has been writing. And she's also been teaching dreaming workshops in addition to her writing. And while this may seem like it's a long way from this discussion about rope handling, it's really all connected. Manda wrote this for our clinic description. If we can only understand ourselves as living in, through, and of a world of energy, we can learn to curate that energy, to identify what is ours and what is not. If we can learn to let in what we choose to let in and let out what we choose to let out, then the world will be a better place. I would add that learning to curate our own energy so we understand the influence, the impact that we have on others is an important part of rope handling. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what evolves out of this workshop. It's a different way of exploring the work, but what I've learned is that new things emerge when you bring different repertoires together. So I'm really looking forward to this immersion into the magical side of horses. That workshop will be followed by a clinic at Becky Chapman's Ashen Equestrian Center. That's going to be another great clinic. This tends to be a group that loves details. So I suspect we're going to be exploring the rope handling and all that goes along with it. If you've never been to one of my clinics, you may have questions about the overall format. I find it's always a challenge to describe these courses ahead of time to someone who's never been to one. I know the starting point and I know the overall structure of the weekend, but the specifics of what we cover are very much shaped by the clinic participants. So each group is a unique event. We begin with an evening of introductions, and I start out by telling the participants that this is their first shaping exercise of the weekend. What I want to know as we go around the group is that I want to know what everyone's background with horses is and what their understanding of clicker training is. And then I, I want to know what questions each person is bringing to the weekend. What are the, what are they working on in their own training that they would like a little help with? And that very much influences what aspect of the work that we explore. 
And what always amazes me is how all the different threads that people bring weave together to create a coherent whole. We may have people in the group who are completely new to clicker training and others who have been using it for years. And some people are new to horses, others are really experienced horse people. And then of course, some people don't even work with horses. We get a lot of dog trainers and quite a few people who work with exotics coming to these clinics. When we go out to the horses, it often seems as though the horses were listening in to these conversations. They managed to take us through a series of stair steps that tie together what each person needs. So we're going to have the clinic at Becky Chapman's Ashen Equestrian Center. And then I'm going to have a third course in June that's with uh, just a wonderful group. This is a, a group of people who have been working closely with one of my coaches, Mary Concannon. If you've been listening to the Equosity podcast, you've already met Mary. We did a series of podcasts with her that were published in, I think it was in December. Our starting point for this clinic will be the same as the starting point at Becky's. We'll share an evening conversation in which I ask each person what they hope to get from the weekend. And then their input will create a unique clinic experience. To learn more about these clinics, visit theclickercenter.com. The contact information for the clinic organizers is listed with each event, and they can tell you if there is still space available in these clinics. And I hope some of you can join me for one of these June events or one of the clinics that we'll be holding later in the year. After such a great start with the spring clinics, I know we're in for some just extraordinary events. We also have a fabulous treat coming up in July, a summer science camp with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, but I know that's sold out. So it's not really fair to tempt you with it. Instead, I'll direct you to our June 2nd webinar with Jesus. You can register for that at the equiosity.com website. But enough about clinics and webinars. Let's get back to today's podcast. But I think I'm getting off on a tangent. Um, so, so reel me back in because uh, we wanted to look at get ready, get start, go. Well, and yeah. I think I've gone way off. Yeah, you have. Well, you were talking about the demo um, at the expo. Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. So that's how I got to the clinics <laughs> because, because I was doing that this past week. Thank you. It's like, oh, I lost the connection. Uh, so we were doing this this past weekend with people and, and it was a new group. So these are most of the people who were in this clinic I hadn't worked with before. So it's always fun to see the reaction to this particular demo. So you have somebody hold uh, the horse's end of the lead rope and they're holding just past the snap so it's comfortable in their, in their hands. And then you instruct them to get really, really, really tight in their bodies. So they grip the lead rope, they tighten their shoulders. They're, you can see they're, they're sort of grim, they're not smiling, they're really, really tight. And then you have them close your, their eyes and you slide up the lead rope. And the instructions are to tell me when you can feel me coming up the lead rope. And often 
you get all the way up the lead rope so your hand is bumping up, up against their hand before they say, oh, there, I can feel you. And, and sometimes I'll be wiggling the lead rope a little bit. So it's, it's not like I'm creeping up. I'm, I'm letting the lead rope actually move and they won't feel it because they're tight. And, and then you have them throw away all of that tension and you slide up the lead rope and then again, the instructions are, tell me when you can feel me coming. And often you'll barely even begin to start sliding and they'll say, I feel that. And the difference, the difference is so startling and striking. So that when, what this means is that when, when my horse is tight, he can't really feel me. Or when I, the handler, the rider, if I'm tight, I can't feel my horse. And if we can't feel one another, we're gonna end up shouting at one another. So it's really important that my horses are as relaxed and soft as, as, as possible and that I am relaxed and soft as possible so that we can whisper to one another. And that's why there's this work with the lead rope is so important because it, it, it is like doing a Feldenkrais session where you are really using that lead to put in small suggestions and to explore and ask that question of where, where are you holding tension? Why are you holding tension? What could you release? What could we change that would allow you to let go of that, that would allow you to just breathe and let go of it? So when we slide up the lead rope, when you're working with a naive horse, one who's new to this type of work, or you're working with a naive human who's new to this work, you slide up and you can go all the way up to the snap and there won't be a response because they don't understand yet what, what is going on and what they don't understand it yet as, oh, she's cueing me to move. They're just aware that you've slid up to the snap. So let's suppose that we're doing this together. So I'm, and, and, and we've done this in your kitchen together, but now we're going to do it across cyberspace. So you can imagine I'm standing there in the kitchen with you, you're holding the lead rope, and I'm sliding up this lead rope, and I've gone all the way up to the snap, and then I've rotated my hand, so my knuckles are resting against your knuckles. But I've done it in a way that I've rotated my shoulder so I'm not pushing into you. We're both at neutral. I've not picked a fight with you. You're a nice horse. Why would I want to pick a fight with you by pushing into you? And you're not a rude horse. So why would I want to be rude by sliding up the lead rope and rotating in a way that comes up into your space? That would be rude. So instead, I'm gonna slide up this lead rope and rotate through my shoulder. I'm doing it now as I'm talking and rotate through my shoulder in such a way that we're just knuckle to knuckle, but we're each in our own space. I'm not pushing on you, you're not pushing on me. You can almost slide a piece of paper between our, our hands, though, though you can, we can feel 
you can feel my knuckles softly against yours. Right. And then I'm going to make a change. And I usually ask, and, and what will happen is I make this change, and the person I'm working with, you'll see a slight ex- change in their expression, and then they'll take a step back. Mm-hmm. And I'll say to them, where did that come from? And they gen- generally the person's not really sure. So, well, your hand. And I'll say... From your toe. Really, <laughs> from my toes. I wiggled my toes. Exactly. You see, I have done this with you. No. And, and they'll sort of look, you know, what, 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 what is this nonsense? And, but it's, it's what is happening. And I can show them. I can block my shoulders. I can get tight in my shoulders. And then I can move my feet all over the place and they won't feel it. But if I'm free in my shoulders and my hips, I can wiggle my, I can just wiggle my toes a little bit. And what that does is it creates a tiny shift in my balance so that I'm now just a little bit forward. And what that shift in balance does is it creates a little shift of balance in you. So now you're rocked back in your heels. And because you're rocked back in your heels, you're now having to work to keep your balance. And that work, that little bit of extra muscle work, you're going to become aware of. I don't have to do anything more. I've set it up. This is the request I've set up. And I just wait. And what will happen is you will become aware of this little bit of, and I'm going to call it what it is, this little bit of discomfort because your muscles are now working harder than they were when you were in neutral balance. And and what you'll want to do is restore yourself to an orientation where you are not having to work as much. And so you'll take a step back. And as you take that step back, I will release, click, and treat. And then I can repeat it. So as I repeat it, and I slide up the lead rope, now you're going to begin to anticipate. Right. So you're not trying to avoid. You're not saying, oh, that was, that was really frightening. No, because it's been, it's been reinforced. So Even if I had, I mean, even I could, maybe it was really painful and frightening. Maybe there was something about being shifted out of balance that for you felt very frightening. If I were working with a wobbler, a horse with neurological damage, I would need to be very careful because any shift in balance could be quite frightening for that individual because their balance is so compromised. But for the most part, it's it people don't feel frightened by it they don't feel imposed by it they just take a step back so and they get reinforced for it so with the horses they're not stepping back from avoidance the the kind of avoidance that we talk about when we're talking about negative reinforcement they're stepping back because They've understood what is being asked. It's okay for them to take that little shift, uh, that, that step back, 
they're not concerned about uh, that they're stepping back off the edge of a cliff. They know they're not. And furthermore, they're getting clicked and reinforced for it. And the more that I repeat this, the more it becomes a cue, a true cue. And so now as I start to slide down the lead rope, it makes sense that the horse is going to take a step back. Of course he's going to take a step back because he knows that stepping back earns a click and a treat. And so now what will start to happen is he's going to do it faster. He's going to do it sooner. That's right. And yeah. so I'll probably be delighted. Look at how light my horse is becoming. I, I just begin to slide down the lead rope and look at that. He's already backing. So this is, this is a wonderful thing. And it's just like what I was describing earlier with the horse is bending his head to the side. The horse doesn't have some built-in notion of the perfect level of response. Well, not only that, but like you said, it might be one thing for one handler and something else for the other person. That's right. And, it, and under certain situations, I might, I might love a horse who's super light, but in a different context, I'd want a little bit more of a connection. The example I always think of is with a, a child where you're crossing the street. There are times where you really want to take the child's hand and to feel that child's hand in yours. You really want to know that that child is connected with you. And so when you cross the street, you want that actual physical hand-in-hand -hand connection. But if you're just crossing the street in my neighborhood, it's not busy at all. You don't need that hand. You're not. You're not in Madison Square. Right. At five o'clock. Right. The context is different. Con you're in a village. Yes. You know. Yes. It's eight o'clock at night. The context completely, completely different. Completely so different. The cue and the might be different in this case. The same thing would apply with the horses. I know for myself, there there are times where, you know, I really, I get security from having sort of being able to have. A, a more direct connection with the horse and there are other times where I just want it to I just want the the lead rope to float and and of course as I get better in my handling and the relationship with my horse there are fewer the the environments where I want to say hold my hand become fewer and fewer just as with you know, if we were walking across mm -hmm. that same busy intersection, I wouldn't be saying to you, Dominique, hold my hand while I cross the street. You know, so you know, mm -hmm. things change as relationships develop and build. And, and so what is appropriate and correct under one set of circumstances as things evolve and change will no longer be needed as time goes on. Speaking of time going on, I think it's about time that I interrupt again. But this time, it's going to be to say that this is a good place to end for this week. We'll pick up again next week with the rest of this discussion about cues, rope handling, and the get ready, get set, go way in which cues evolve and can change over time. I've told you about the related podcasts 
and the articles that are in the library section of the Equosity.com website. You can look up the rope handling and the train where you can episodes in the archives. Those are in the early part. So I think the train where you can was episode number eight and the rope handling was just before that. And I've told you about my upcoming clinics. You can go to theclickercenter.com to learn more about those. And something everyone can share in, remember we have a webinar on June 2nd, 2019 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time with Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz. The topic is going to be cues in context, so it will fit right into this current discussion. Go to our website, equosity.com, to register. And next week, we'll continue on with the second half of this conversation. So until then, have fun with your horses.